one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adel Amarsi Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adel Amarsi. And today, I have the supreme pleasure to bring on one of my friends, one of my big brothers, one of the people that has truly helped me in many ways that you'll find out a little bit more about during the show, exactly uh, why it's important. And this guy is one of the few people that I really trust when it comes down to understanding not just how to find your passions while you're here on earth, but most importantly, to understand your purpose, the thing that unlocks everything that so many people fuck up in my opinion and his opinion. So we're going to be going through all that fun <laughs> stuff. And I had the pleasure of writing that sales letter. So I definitely know that most of us are fucked, but it's fun because we can fix it and sort all out. With that being said, none other than my brother himself, Dove Baron. Dove, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. I'm happy to be here. Um, uh, a good Jew and a good Muslim. Uh, well, I don't know about the good part, but a Jew and a Muslim brother, I'm always good for that. Damn right. Wow, man, we should totally, I'm still thinking we should get Tony G on this as well. That way we have the trifecta of the Abrahamic religions. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, it will open the Abrahamic podcast. Oh my God. If we actually did that, the three of us, and actually did business advice from all three, that's a whole other con. This is what happens when I speak. But you to know them. what? That might, that, 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 we might piss off a lot of Muslims, a lot of Jews, and a lot of Christians with that. Because uh, we're all, I think maybe Tony might be a better Christian than I am a Jew. I think you might be a better Muslim than I am or a Jew. I think but he's a better Christian. Muslim. might look at it the other way. So, you know. It's a bit tricky. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is. But it's all fun and games. And this is what I mean, guys. I cannot have a conversation with Dove for more than two minutes from laughing. Like, it is, it is terrible uh, between this and that sense. And then terrible in the best of lights, in my opinion. But real quickly, a shout out to our sponsors for this episode, because as always, I've got to do these. Today's episode is, of course, sponsored by DoveBaron.com. Head on over there. Pick up the man's books. Pick up his podcast. Get on his mailing list. By the end of this show, I guarantee you, you'll be scratching through the screen or your phone to actually find out more about this man. He's absolutely brilliant. And the more you find out about him, the more you'll realize. So very, uh, very true words. And of course, we're also sponsored by Adelamarcy.com where we host this show. You guys can opt in. And as always, we'll be updating the site with more killer content as the year rolls through. Now, the first thing I really need to tell you guys about Dove is, I don't know if you, I don't know if we've ever spoken about this, but do you know how long I've been following you? Uh, you did tell me, um, cause it was back in the days of, um, uh, teleconferences, wasn't it? Yeah. I have no idea. Tell me. So 2008 was my first interaction with you. Wow. So 12 years, years 12 years ago, you were uh, 11. <laughs> I was a child. No, I was, um, <laughs> I, was, I was 18. It was my first, it was my first business. They had your training. I can't even remember what training it was. But it was by you on uh, mindset, and I can't remember what other subjects. I have them all written down notes. I wish I could say that I remember everything, but it was, it was so long ago. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just that moment. I remember adding you on Facebook. That was the other thing. Is I, I genuinely remember looking for you on Facebook and adding you and going, I need to follow this guy. And I didn't speak to you for about eight years. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a crazy thing because I was terrified. <laughs> That's something very yeah. Because, again, I was an 18-year-old kid with low self-esteem that was looking at it going, why the hell would he speak to me? And that's what my brain was at for a long time. Okay. Fair and, uh, and over time, you know, of course, there was times that we, like, I followed you. Other times I went away and studied different people. But we always seemed to find each other on the way back. And that time, 
uh, I think it was the last year or so that we really, really connected. And again, as I mentioned, Tony Greb, my great brother and great friend, um, reintroduced us. <coughs> and essentially, we've just been talking ever since. And we've worked together. Mm -hmm. You helped me with a bunch of stuff. And yeah. You did some great work, some great copy for me. It was, a, it was really great working together on that together. And uh, Which great is great flow. It was, which is rare for me, as I said to you. I usually don't like working with people. I'm very, very much a, a lone wolf in that sense. But writing with you was quite, was a lot of fun. Like, I loved going in back and forth. It was brilliant. Mm. And it was around that time that I said, I've got to get this guy on my podcast. I just got to get, get him on my show. It would be so much fun. So with that being said, I'm going to ask my first question because there's so much wisdom from this man. That Absolutely. Good. The first thing I want to ask you is why the hell is, what's the deal with why? Because I, I wrote about this and I need, everyone needs to know about it. So everyone goes on about how they know their why and that's like the be all end all. You basically showed me that wasn't the case, but I want to know what led you to that discovery and what is the actual case? What is the thing that we're looking for? Okay, a lot of, a lot to unpack in there. Yeah. So we'll start with, um, you know, I love Simon Sinek's work, which is the book called Start With Why. And I always say when I'm brought into a company, and they'll say, oh, yeah, we want to work on our why. But we've read Simon's book. And I go, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. What's the title of the book? And they go, Start With Why. And I go, very good. Start with, don't finish. And they go, what do you mean? I go, because you're not deep enough yet. And what most people, when they're looking for a why, they... They're actually, uh, corporately, it's often a mission statement with a lick of paint. And yep. personally, it's a passion project. They think that their passions are their purpose. And companies think that their mission statement with a new coat of paint is a, is a purpose. It's none of those things. Yep. The purpose is vastly different than those, as you discovered in the work we were doing. Yep. Um, so human beings... Um, I'm motivated by two primary forces. We're motivated by pleasure and by pain. Now, as you can imagine, one of those is preferable, unless you're an S&M freak, and that's okay, whatever lights you gamble. But for most of us, you know, we prefer pleasure over pain. However, pleasure is a very short-term motivator. It, it will move us, but short-term. Pain moves us long-term. And so we avoid pain, but we need to pay attention to pain because it will move us. It becomes rocket fuel. Mm -hmm. And all the things that we avoid in pain are avoidant of us getting connected to the very thing that will put us in the right direction for finding our purpose, which is deeper than our why. That's it's what I call a dragon fire. Mm. That's actually very, very true. That, there's a lot of truth in that. And that is something that uh, you can actually find with anything that you do if you dig deep enough. Like the ones that the the seven why or the five why questions that you ask whenever like you you got a question you go deeper until you hit the emotional gold. I found out with my money story last week. Like legitimately, I found out why I'm terrified of earning money. It, it's the weirdest thing. I was like, why do I always have to be broke at the end of the month uh, or during a month? And my brain went. I kept going down to like every reason why. Like, oh, I need a struggle. I need a challenge. I don't thrive in like peace. I thrive in chaos. All this bullshit. And it finally came down to. If I have money, then I will be, I'll be, people will come to me and ask me for help because I'm always free to help wherever I can. I will always give my best help. But will they love me for who I am or will they love me for the wealth I give them? And then it's like, well, I have to be broke in order for my parents, my mother and my father and my sister to love me for me because I have nothing else to offer but me at that point. So crazy story of how that was stuck in there for so many years. And now it's just like releasing itself out and just kind of going, yeah, we don't, we don't need to do, we don't need that pattern to be run anymore. Mm 
but that's thank you for sharing that because that's that's got some deep vulnerability in it and it's really powerful and insightful for people because we don't understand i mean so you've got what what we call internal psychological equations and emotional equations you know i've written a lot about emotional logic emotional logic is based on a set of equations those equations are not rational or logical yeah so if i want to give you an example i would say just so you understand it i would say two plus two equals a giraffe <laughs> right that's that's an example of an emotional equation so money equals the loss of love is what your equation was yeah. it doesn't make logical sense no. it doesn't have logic to it but your unconscious mind doesn't work in logic it works in equations of safety listen to that it works in equations of safety so whatever has kept you safe now meaning things if you want to understand the word safe it's really simple replace it with the word same the the ego mind equates the things being the same as things being the safe so you look at your friend you say why are they in that shitty relationship why did they stay why don't they leave because they say oh well better the devil you know no <laughs> No. Well, what if on the other side is not a devil, it's an angel? But you're like, I'm better you devil, you know. Well, at least he doesn't beat me. The fact that he's an alcoholic and he gambles on my wages away doesn't really matter because at least he doesn't knuckle me. I mean, come on. Yeah. So that's what we do. We, we, we keep things the same in order to stay safe. So part of our love equations, our financial equations, our emotional logic equations don't make sense to the world. But you, but rarely, and I really applaud you at getting there. Rarely do people have the mechanisms to undo their own emotional equations. You got to it in the realization that if you have money, mom, dad, sister, whoever might ask you for that money, they would love you for having given them that money. But now, are you loved besides having the money? And so that's what happens. And by the way, that's not an unusual equation yeah. because you see that in Hollywood. A lot of people will become very successful, very famous, very wealthy, and then they'll blow the whole up. Yep. And the reason is because they say, I just don't feel loved. And, and people go, but you've got the adoration of millions of people. Adoration is not love. You know, I bought my mom a house. I bought my dad a house. I bought my sister a house. I bought my brother a house. I brought... Bought, I bought my wife a new set of boobs. You know, I bought all those things. Am I loved? What happens if it all goes away? And so you're absolutely right. It's really great that you got to that. And it's really important that people understand that because that's how we go about finding our purpose. You look at what has generated those equations. And when you, when you focus in on that, you can actually find out what your primary drivers are, what's really driving you. Yeah. And that's the next part of my work, by the way. As you can see, there is always more to go into and there is more to release, which always makes you better. And this is what I mean. Uh, as you guys can hear, and if your jaw hasn't hit the floor already, we're going, oh, uh, what the hell? Yeah, this is not my regular show. Today's not a regular show. We, we're going to be going like through some mind expansion show, which is awesome. And um, something I really want to like touch upon here is the idea of these equations forming. Now, obviously, you can create new equations around them and shift them, and that does take a lot of work uh, mm -hmm. in one hand. But as you get better at doing it, I assume, my only assumption is, the more you do it, the easier it becomes to actually understand how to do it to yourself and you know, rewrite those equations as you, as you see fit once you find them. It is easier over time. Yeah. However, 
um, just in fairness, so everybody understands, um, nobody is objective in their subjective reality. Yeah. The fish cannot describe water. So it's very important to at least have a guide, um, a coach, a therapist, whatever term you want to use, someone who can have you see um, what uh, Moshe Feldenkrais called the elusive obvious. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 elusive to you, but it's obvious to those who know how to look for it. Yeah, and that's that's some of the best stuff ever, and um, that's something I would actually say because I'm a huge advocate for therapy anyway. But for myself personally, for a while, I didn't have a therapist, and then mm -hmm. I had a therapist, and then I didn't have a therapist. Then I had mentors, and now I'm kind of like I've combined the two together. I've got mentors on one side, a therapist on the other, and just some friends I need in between to patch that gap between the two areas whenever I need them. Um, and again, yeah, it's, it's a support system. It's uh, something I spoke about years ago, but whenever I get to that point where I'm really low and it's, it's not happened for a long time. And, um, I hope you don't mind me sharing this on, on the show. Obviously I don't mind sharing it, but like as well as for you, it's this, it's the case that after the situation that happened in December, where I basically worked myself so harshly for about two months, like from mm -hmm. December doing recovery, January's pushing forward. I hit a point mid January where I basically hit a depression, which is, which is strange for me. And as we've discussed in the past, whenever I've hit a depression in the past, it's usually a manic depressive episode, which is usually followed by high energy and then possible self termination, not mm -hmm. a fun way of going. And I've always realized whenever I hit that point, there is a, there is a tipping point that I see coming. It's basically the on-roading sign going, Hey, we're going up here, pump the brakes, find a way off, find a way by, do whatever you can, go into the hard shoulder, rest, switch the, switch the engine off. And usually at that point with my friends, my support system, I can write, I can usually send them a message just, uh, as I've described to you in the past and anyone else listening, I suggest and implore you to do the same. If you're anything like me, I cannot have a conversation with a friend on the phone and not sound happy. It's virtually impossible for me. It happens rarely, but it's virtually impossible for me to pick up the phone and be like, okay, I'm suicidal. You call me, my response is like, hey, how's your day going? It's going to be high energy and happy because mm -hmm. I've trained my brain to bullshit and hide that from people. Yeah. The one place I can't hide that is if I'm texting you. If I'm messaging you in written word, I can freely express it because I can choose to control the editing down of the words and write down exactly what I need to say. And if I really trust someone, I'm just very open about the ridiculousness that is my brain at times, um, as we all are. But my word for that, and this is why I employ you to have it, is the word roller coaster. So if I ever use the words roller coaster, that's usually a sign for the friend I'm talking to that I trust in and confide in to turn around and say, let's just call him and we know, we know he's sad. We know he's in this area. And we know he's going to be high energy, but let's just talk him through it. Let, let him be as high energy as he wants, but we know the truth and he'll eventually come out to us. Those conversations are some of the best conversations I have. And if you don't have those with friends, please find someone that can actually do that with you um, because it's incredible. And something I want to report back with you is, so this new depression was uh, a burnout depression as we, as we uh, arrived at the conclusion of where basically my brain wasn't doing anything it needed to replenish the creativity. So I was creative, but it was a burnout creativity. It wasn't soul feeding creativity. So when I came back and started doing things that were soulful and happy, I felt my energy go up. 
But specifically, the thing that you opened my mind to, I want to ask you a little bit more about, especially share with the others, was the use of uh, lion's mane as a supplement. Specifically, lion's mane as a supplement, because mm -hmm. for a long time, I thought a lot of the stuff from, like, say, Shroom Tech, which actually uses other stuff like uh, reishi mushrooms, um, cordyceps, and lion's mane combined yep. all together and stuff like that, they're brilliant for what they do. I genuinely, on some level, thought it was all bullshit. I, hands up, up my hands and say, I thought it was all bullshit on that level. I knew certain mm -hmm. foods could help and heal you, but I didn't realize it was something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so my question is, how did you come across that? Because for me, it isn't bullshit. I've used it and I feel way better. So what is it? How did you find out about it? And how do you personally use it and recommend it to others? Well, um, it's interesting. I had a conversation yesterday with one of my clients and she said, I just listened to your interview because as you know, Adil, I have a podcast, mm -hmm. um, leadership and loyalty, uh, which is the number one podcast in the world for fortune 500 listeners. And, and recently, I inter yeah, re recently I interviewed Dr. Stephen Gundry of the plant paradox. And my client was listening to that interview and she said to me, I like she was asking me some of the questions and, and, I, and she says, I love that you've known this stuff for 30 odd years. I mean, yeah. you know, it shows my age, right? Because I was talking with Gundry about some of the stuff that I've done and, and did back in the eighties before, you know, when, before it was cool and trendy. Yeah. So all these things for me, you know, whether it's lion's mane or whatever it is, are things that I've been, I've been researching since I was about 20, 21. And I just became fascinated. So that's 40 years ago, became fascinated with what is it that makes us work? So one of the things that was fascinating to me, as you know, I had an interesting childhood too. Yep. And um, one of the things I became fixated on, aside from all my studies, was this idea of stress. Mm -hmm. There's people would talk about stress back in the, even in the 70s, but people didn't understand that. And I was like, wonder what it is. And so I began research. And as you know, I studied neurosciences and started to become fascinated with that and yeah. discovered this hormone called cortisol, right? Which immediately became the demon hormone for me. I was like, oh, I got to get rid of that bastard. But mm. actually you need cortisol. Cortisol is good. When you wake up in the morning, it's cortisol that wakes you up. And if you don't have enough cortisol, you're dragging your ass out of bed. It's part of what gets you fired up. It's good. But it's also important that it's balanced and measured. So I began to looking at how do you balance it and measure it and how does, how does oxytocin and uh, serotonin and all the other hormones play together in a way that's productive. So I just began doing this research. And I had, you know, I mean, I... In fairness, Adil, you know, you're talking about you thought it was all BS. Yeah. Um, I investigated a lot of the BS stuff, too. I tried some of this crazy shit that was like, whatever, because I just wanted to experiment because I dealt with very severe depression for many, many years, and it was just looking for how I could assist myself. Now, in fairness, like you, I got therapy. I went and got help. I found help, and then I took supplements like lion's mane and it came from a friend of mine who was doing uh, all kinds of mushroom stuff and a lot of it was like you know uh, what, what's that kombucha you know kombucha mushrooms yeah. and the fungi and all this but when i found lion's mane i also found out because i i've been a bodybuilder for 40 years but i also found out um 
that it worked particularly well with niacin. Niacin, for those of you who don't know, is a vitamin, and when you take it, there's two kinds. There's called flushing niacin and non-flushing niacin. Flushing niacin, when you take it, you feel yourself go red. You feel like a tingling redness throughout your body. Non-flushing doesn't do that, but it does, it's still the same. What niacin does is it pushes things to the ends of the nerves. So when you take it with lion's mane, lion's mane actually feeds the neurons. Yeah. It actually puts, um, it gives the neuron the actual food it needs and the niacin pushes it to the end. So it's very, very good. So people who are doing a quote, a mushroom trip, so psilocybin, and they're gonna use psilocybin therapy, will often take lion's mane with niacin as well. But as a way to keep your brain healthy, you take um, lion's mane and niacin together. Yeah, I mean, I've been using it personally. Um, the way that I have is combining it together. And um, the, pro the, the process I've actually seen for it in self is this clarity in my thinking and my energy levels almost say perfectly fine. I mean, one of the areas I'm moving towards and back over in my life and taking a deeper look at is my nutrition mm -hmm. because that's where I fail. Uh, according to one of my friends that is also a bodybuilder, his response was, you eat right, you cook right, yet what is going on with your body? He was like, you snack way more than you realize. I was like, I know. He was like, no, you don't know. I, he literally was one of those people that could see it from the outside that I couldn't see around me. Mm -hmm. I hung out with you for a weekend. You ate less food than everyone else, but you snacked four times as much than everyone else. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you just have a thing for snacks. You don't like actually sitting down and eating a full meal. So we've been sitting down and doing the nutrition side of things. And the crazy thing about it is, um, even though like my energy level was spike and dip, dip based on my snacking, and that's what I'm looking at to like level it out as much as I can, the lion's mane and neosin combined together has almost given me like a, a really good baseline to know what I'm, what I'm able to achieve when I don't snack. The only warning I will give anyone that's doing this, do not freak out that your pee turns yellow. Don't do that because I freaked out the first time and I thought, what the hell's going on? And I Googled it. I was like, oh, it's just, it's just the niacin. It, that's, that's what it can do to you. Niacin does, yeah. yeah. It cleans out the system. <laughs> that, was a, that was something that was a fun surprise. But, you know, it's interesting because, you, you know, you're talking about something else here now. So I'm going to shift it over because we're going to move into the nutrition piece a little bit. Because yeah. <clears throat> one, one of the things that, again, you know, I was very fascinated with the mind, the brain, depression, high performance, et cetera, for, for as long as I can remember. And so I've always been a bit of a sort of biohacker around those kinds of things. And one of the things that I now know with 100% certainty is the coconut, your head, does not work if you don't get your gut right. So most of you, as you listen to this, have at least heard the word serotonin. Um, even if it was just on a commercial for Prozac, you've heard about serotonin, that serotonin uptake and serotonin is the feel-good hormone. What you probably don't know is your gut produces more serotonin than your brain does. I did not know that. Your gut. If you don't eat right, your gut doesn't produce the serotonin. What does that mean, eat right? If you eat Listen to this is very important. If you eat a caloric based diet, which is carbohydrate caloric, right? So if you're eating a carbohydrate based diet, your gut 
biome, which is this, your, your gut in here, doesn't work properly. And what we know is that there's something called the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in the body. It goes from, all the way from the bottom to the top. Mm. And that nerve carries all the information from your gut to your head. So when you have a gut response or something, that's not a fallacy. It is real. That nerve is responding, but it doesn't have an intellectual process called the frontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex of your brain, to slow it down. It just knows. If you don't take care of your gut, your brain doesn't work properly. It doesn't work. So what you need is you need healthy fats, very healthy fats. So all that stuff we got fed since the 70s about not having fats. So what happens is your gut creates ghrelin, which is a hormone that tells you I'm hungry. Right. And when you don't have fats, ghrelin doesn't get switched off. Fats actually switch it off. So in the morning, the first thing I have is I have something for my biome, which is sauerkraut, which I don't like. It's disgusting. It's gross, but it's really good for my gut. So I eat it. I have that. And then about 20 minutes later, when that's settled, then I have my coffee with fat. And it's only got fat in it. So it's got coconut oil, MCT coconut oil. It's got ghee, a little bit of ghee in it, right? And some coconut milk and it's coffee and that's it. And I have that. So that's what's in here. That's what I have. And that's what I put into my system. What that does is that balances my system out. So the caffeine mixed with the oil feed my brain. My brain works better. My gut biome is balanced from the sauerkraut and then the oils. And then, I, and then I do intermittent fasting, so I don't eat. And I was the, guy, I was the get up at five, eat breakfast, and, and eat six meals a day. And I, I mean, like I said, I was a bodybuilder and did all that stuff. I was at 7,000 calories a day for a long time, wow. right, which is a lot of eating. Now I do not eat at the earliest is one o'clock, usually not till three. I keep it in a window, and I eat healthy fats, lots of good healthy fats and proteins, tons of vegetables, tons of salad and very, very few carbohydrates. That's really interesting and very, that, two things I have to ask about that, especially in the morning routine. How do you ingest the sauerkraut? As in like, that's some, do you just like take a spoonful or do you put it in something else or do you like- No, dil- no so you it's just, gotta be on its own. So it's gotta be on straight down the hatch. Yeah, cause it's called a prebiotic. So you go to probiotics, well prebiotic is, is actually sets the gut. So I take a nice big tablespoonful of it, in the morning, chew it down, one of vomit, it's disgusting, and I have it. Um, you know, and if I don't have it, it's because I am away or something and I can't get it. And so what I have is I'll have a uh, tablespoon of uh, apple cider vinegar, which is also pretty gross. Um, oh, I'll, I'll have, rather take the apple cider vinegar any day of the week. Yeah, I'll do that. That, that I can do every day. <laughs> so um, I have that. Um, and that just sets the gut, but you don't have anything for 20 minutes and then, and it just sets the gut. Now, you know, one of the things that I struggled with since my twenties was bloated gut. It looked like I eat healthy. I'm a super healthy eater. Why is my gut bloated? Because of grains and because grains have lectins, lectins, your body can't break down. The body can't break them down. If the body can't break them down, it causes inflammation. You want to know what aging is? Aging is inflammation. It's your body getting inflamed. If you want to know what foggy brain is, when you can't think straight, inflammation. 
How do you get inflammation? You get inflammation from carbohydrates and lactin, lectins. So stay off them. So okay. now I don't have grains. I don't, and I and I don't have processed carbs of any kind. Wait, so does this mean no potatoes? Just curious there, like no potatoes whatsoever. No sweet potatoes. Uh, occasionally I have a little bit of sweet potato, and occasionally I have some taro. Oh, fair enough. Because taro is lower lower in carbohydrate and higher in fiber, um, but I don't have any potatoes. Um, I keep away from all of those things. Cool. See, this is just so many questions for me right now because, like, for me, it's cassava because I love cassava. That is like hands cassava's down. Cassava's great. Yeah, it's like, so, and you know, because I'm married to a Fiji girl, so we eat cassava. Um, and you know, cassava is very, and it's like potato. It's a neutral food, as in it, does, it picks up the flavor of whatever you add to it, right? So, you know, one of the things that you can do with cassava, particularly if you're on uh, the diet that I'm talking about, you can have it with a grass-fed butter in it, right? So it has to be grass-fed. Yeah. Um, full fat butter and you put some of that in there with it and some pepper and some some salt and stuff and it's delicious it really is a little bit of that not too much but a little bit of it it's good what was the best way to be but okay kind of backtracking here because like not even backtracking because this is powerful because if you get your gut right and your head's right now your brain is actually in a much more not even a receiving space but you're in a much more receiving space of understanding of how your brain works and what you want to achieve with your purpose Let's the bottom line is you can focus. Exactly, which is something right. our generations have evolved. The last couple of generations has like dropped down. And God help the generation of the millennials, they, like, well, the ones after the millennials, they're the ones that... Generation know, Z. Yeah, they, their focus is, is crazy right now. Um, but one of the things I really want to touch upon, and this is something that you guys may or may not see. If you don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a photo of this. Uh, I'm going to show you just a snippet of this video that we're creating right now. Dove does not look his age. When I'm not going to tell you how old he is or how young the man is. It's incredible to me. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of already somewhat revealed it anyway. But yeah. I'll say this much. When you told me that, I, I was floored. I was legitimately floored. I was like, no, you're not. He's like, yeah, I am. I'm like, god damn, seriously. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of the craziest things there is. Because um, you, don't, you don't look your age in the, in the slightest. Like, well, let's, yeah. give, let's give everybody a clue. I already gave them clues, yeah. but here's the clue. Um, last week, my daughter celebrated her 43rd birthday. Yeah, that should give you that. That's my daughter. And my grandson is 26. <laughs> yeah, so I should, uh, I should tell you everything. Exactly. And the man does not look his age. It's brilliant. But one of the things I wanted to um, really touch upon and actually go a little bit deeper with is the idea of the dragon training in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you only mentioned this to me today. I was like, okay, you got to talk to me about this because you've not told me about this yet. Uh, and for those thinking out there, I know Dove well enough that he won't tell me something until right before a show for two specific reasons. One, he wants it fresh in my brain. And two, he's just been planning this. And he's like, I know exactly why I'm going to reveal this. This is the thing we do to each other as, you know, as always. So I've got to ask, what's it about? Tell us a little bit more. Well, uh, recently, uh, very recently in January, we held what's called the Dragon's Lair Mastermind. It was an invitation only. Um, we were going to hold more, but people have to apply. Uh, six to eight people, very tight, very intimate, very deep. Um, not for the not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Um, and the people we had come in were amazing. I mean the. The guy who is actually, I mentioned Simon Sinek, but the guy who is actually behind 
that brand start with what? The guy who developed that, uh, Mark, he was here. Uh, Jamie Mustard, who is the iconist, who does work for bands and um, museums. And um, Mark writes, uh, does differentiation for political campaigns and all those kinds of things. Damien, who runs the largest uh, online magazine platform in the world. Uh, you know, these are just examples of people who were here, right? It was yeah. an amazing group. And the idea of it was that I said, you know, I, I think masterminds are like everything else. A lot of them are just crap and a lot of them are not very good. And I said, I want people who are going to come up, come here and be willing to face their fire. So when we talk about, let me just think about it for a minute. One of the most common language things we're hearing, particularly these days, and you talked about it even at the beginning of this episode, which is burnout. Yeah. We talked a lot about burnout. But what is burnout? It means your flame has gone out. Mm -hmm. You have a flame inside of you. You've known that flame inside of you. It's been there inside of you. You've had experiences of it. And then you go, oh, what happened to my flame? Where is that fire gone? Because we, we change the, the internal fire, which is the dragon fire, and we move it upstairs into will. And will is not fire. And so then when you, get, when you start using will, you actually end up putting out the fire. Dragon's fire comes from turning in, not turning out. You turn in to face, well, okay, what is the demon here? What is, what is my internal dragon? Because when I face my internal dragon, it becomes transformed into an external dragon. And dragons don't fly with pigeons. Dragons fly two, three at a time maximum. But now think about this for a moment. You know, we have, you know... Uh, we're very fascinated with code, but one of the great codes of humanity is story. We know that. It's been thousands of years before writing, we had story. Story is the code by which we live. Now, in those codes, there are certain things called, one of them is called the hero's story. Mm -hmm. It's not my opinion. It was um, part of um, uh, Jungian work, and it's certainly a big part of Joseph Campbell's work. It's there. It's this hero story. But what is the hero story? Well, there's actually a layout of it, and I outlined it fully in my book, uh, Fiercely Loyal. But one of the things in it is this place of understanding where you will be motivated by pain to make a difference, to do something in the world. Maybe you watched your mom dying with a particular disease, or your dad got hit by something, or you're, you're, you've had something happen, and it motivates you. It's the pain that drives you forward. And then when that happens, you take an action and you feel better. That's the thing. You feel better. So, you know, you know, this is somebody who writes copy of a deal. The moment of high is when somebody writes the check. If you're, oh, you know, I've taken action. I've written check. I feel so much better now. I, I'm, I'm in action. And then they don't do shit with it. Yep. You just spent all that money doing that thing. Why the hell aren't you doing something with it? because the high's not as good anymore, and we're chasing that high. So here's the thing, you feel crap, you do something about it, now you feel really good, because you did something about it, but the next stage is an action stage, and that feels much worse, because you can't be passive, it's no longer the same. You've done something, so it can't be the same. So what do most people do? They go back to, eh, it's, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. They go back to the old. Yeah. That fire only takes place when you face the discomfort. 
You must face that discomfort. When you do that, you engage the dragon. When you engage the dragon, you can go out and breathe fire onto the world. Now, here's the thing I want you to get. Dragons are never born in their own environment. If a dragon is born among bears, they grow fur. If a dragon is born among eagles, they grow feathers. If a dragon is born among sharks, they grow fins. So how do they know they're dragons? Well, dragons have been hunted and they're feared because they're so powerful. So they've learned how to morph into these other creatures. And as wonderful as that might be, the problem is the longer they stay bears or sharks or eagles or whatever it is, the more they are likely to forget that they're actually dragons. So there are people you know who you look at and go, wow, that guy's a shark or he's a tiger or she's a lion or whatever it is. Yeah, they are, but they've forgotten that they're dragons first. And the only thing that awakens a dragon is fire. When you turn to that fire, you become a dragon. So whatever heights you've already reached, the possibility of where you can go is far greater when you turn into that fire. So yeah. my clients are, they are sharks, they are lions, they are, you know, they are ferocious, they are massive in the world very often, but they go, there's something missing, what is it? That's the dragon fire. We turn into that and then they, and that fire, it's made of love, but it burns up lies. Yep, it, it, it frees you. And also, I'm going to say, if you do not turn this into a children's book, I'm going to be pissed at you for this. Already written it. Oh, wait, what's the children's book called? Is it out yet? No, it's not out yet, but it's written. Okay, that's good. By the time this show comes out, hopefully it's ready to go, because that is an excellent way of actually explaining it, not just kids, but to adults and everyone. Yeah. Exactly what it is. It's, it's, uh, it's called The Caterpillar and the Dragon the kids book and and it's it's written as a uh it's written as a a, a kids book um for adults you know what i mean so it's yeah. like uh so a, an adult could read it to kids but uh it's um it speaks to the adult as well like it kids. speaks to the adult as well yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's what I mean. It was like it sounds like it's a kid's book, but it is a perfect book for both adults and kids to really engage with. And well, there's actually, yeah, there's actually several stories in it. May I take a minute to read you one of the stories? Please, by all means. This will, this will be an exclusive for my show. Absolutely. Okay. Um, he was fun, energetic, and always did his best to make sure those around him felt included. All the caterpillars loved him. On a daily basis, our friend hung around and played on the branches, quietly eating the leaves with all the other caterpillars. However, there was something secretly that he knew about himself. He felt different than other caterpillars. And as different as he felt, he wanted to be the same. Every now and then, he would notice that one of his caterpillar friends would simply disappear. And when they did, he would ask where they'd gone. And others would point up into an ever-hardening hang, ever hanging beans that would hang from twigs. Over time, more and more of his caterpillar friends just simply disappeared into these hanging silk beans. Before long, they had all gone away, and he felt increasingly lonely. Then, one warm summer's morning, he came out from the place that he'd been sleeping, and he looked up into an orange glowing sky, and suddenly he saw emerging from those silk cocoons that his friends had been locked in 
there were hundreds and hundreds of magnificent, beautiful butterflies all taking to the air. He felt overjoyed to see all his old friends had been transformed. They'd gained beautiful painted wings, and now they could take flight. But his joy for his friends, it quickly became an overwhelming sadness. If they had gone into the cocoons and they had emerged being able to fly, why hadn't he? What's wrong with me, he thought. Aren't I good enough? He felt angry, frustrated, and somehow robbed of something special. He decided that he couldn't live with this anymore. Finding himself on the top of the bridge, he let go and began tumbling towards the rushing waters below. As he hit the water, his outer protective layer cracked open. He was alive, but totally vulnerable. Without protection, he was tossed from rock to rock, and every collision seemed to break off another piece of him. He was struggling, certain that he would die, hoping, wishing, praying that this was a dream and he would awaken crawling with the other caterpillars. Or maybe if he was lucky, he'd awaken and find that he was a beautiful butterfly. But only in that moment of complete surrender did his body come to rest on the banks where the, ocean river, uh, the, where the mountain river meets the ocean. He laid there exhausted no longer, for longer than he could possibly remember. Then he awoke and he was consumed by a mighty thirst. Lifting his head to drink from a nearby pool, he caught a glimpse of an awe-inspiring and potentially terrifying giant creature. He froze for fear of angering the beast. And as he did, he noticed the beast also froze. Staying as still as he could, he watched as the giant watched him. Suddenly he heard a noise that distracted him. He looked up and saw a man. Although he'd seen men before, he knew that caterpillars feared men. Yet for some reason, this one seemed different. There was a glow and a serenity about this man. And our friend couldn't explain it. The man smiled and approached without threat or even fear of the beast. The man called out a name, and although our friend did not know this name, something felt vaguely familiar about it. The man got so close that he could reach out and touch the beast. And our friend felt fearful for the man would be destroyed by the beast. But instead, the man's hand touched him. How could this be? Looking down into the pool, he struggled to make sense of what he saw. The man was touching the beast, but our friend was feeling the touch. Once again, the man began to speak. He said, you lived among the caterpillars and you thought you were a caterpillar, but you were not. Because you were not, what you had grown up around, you felt depressed when, they, when you did not transform into a butterfly. You have tried hard to fit in, but you have never belonged. Being a butterfly was never your destiny. Look into the pool, see yourself in all your majesty. You are a dragon. And I have been watching over you, waiting for, to show you the way of dragons. But, 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 said our friend, I, I want to be a butterfly. They're so beautiful and they bring joy. And, and as fire shot out of his nostrils instead, I'm huge and terrifying. The man stood powerful and tall. His words carried the weight of the mountains and the depth of the ocean. I am the father of dragons. I serve those whose soul is a soul of a dragon, but they do not know it yet. 
Believing the caterpillar lie does not make it true. With both great power and great compassion, he said, you were never a caterpillar and you will never be a butterfly. He continued, only those who fear the truth and kindness fear the fire of love that flows through your veins. Your fire will burn away lies, but first it must burn away your own lies. You are a dragon and you must fly with dragons. That is fucking amazing. I'm so like, first of all, you're an excellent storyteller. So you should totally turn that into an audiobook. Please turn that into an audiobook because I, I was encapsulated the entire time. It's like, God damn. But when, okay, the stories. <laughs> but when, when this comes out, you do know that you, I've got to get a copy. Like just, I have to get a copy for myself and any future kids I have. Cause that'd be just a great bedtime story for them. Um, just done. You know, it's brilliant for me as well. I really don't know where to go with this because right now my brain is like, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> completely oh, threw you off. The crazy part is like, don't, you all know me. I can talk for days. This is the one of the few times I'm left speechless. God damn it. <laughs> but it's all good. I hope you guys let that sink in because this is what Duff can do. Um, I guess it's one of the things I really want to ask. Actually, this is something I wanted to ask you about is particularly about leadership. Because people have a preconceived notion that I believe is incorrect about leadership because they believe leadership is about being in control, in command, telling other people what to do, and all the other fun bullshitty stuff that's there. And now we've actually realized later on down the line that leadership is taking control of yourself, understanding who you are, all the other fun stuff there. But again, I feel like something's missing. I mean, mm -hmm. something that you have, you and I have never directly had this conversation, but we have had this conversation. And I want to get everyone else in on this conversation. It's the idea of what is the true definition of purpose-focused leadership? Because that's where you really, that's where the magic is in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Or in my factual opinion, but still. So uh, I want to start by agreeing with what you just said, which is that leadership is not a title or a position. Yeah. And some people say to me, but you know, I, I don't know if I want to be a leader. You know, I, I, I don't want to be a CEO. And I say, is that what a leader is? A title? And I say, do you have a friend? And they go, yeah. I said, does your friend rely on you? They go, yeah. I go, do, that makes you a leader. Do you have a child? Yes. That makes you a leader. Do you have a sibling? Yes. Makes you a leader. Anytime that you have influence, that's what leadership is. It's influence and impact. The question is, are you a decent leader or are you a crappy leader? Because if you're because you are leading by example, leadership is an example. So what is the example you're giving? So if you're leading from your purpose, if you're leading from your fire. If you're leading from service, if you're not leading from service, then you may have the role. You may have the title. You may even have the responsibility, but that's not leadership. That's a robot. You can't be replaced. See, AI is, there's no doubt about it, AI is going to replace so many jobs, it will blow people's minds. If you go and read a book called uh, Faster Than You Think, by, uh, it just came out by Stephen Coppola, superb book, I recently interviewed Stephen, you really want to find out where we're going, it'll blow your freaking mind. But the bottom line is this, AI will never replace your dragon fire. It will never replace the purpose of why you are here. And you have got to come at your world from that service. I want to serve in the world what I, what, 
I see as missing that I'm in pain about. That's what I'm in pain about. I want to end this suffering, whatever this suffering is. And that suffering might be bad copy. Yep. It's okay. Right. I, you know, um, I am, I teach people how to do sales. One of the things I teach them is because I hate salespeople. Yeah. And they go, why? Because I can't stand these assholes ripping people off instead of doing sales honestly. You can do sales completely honestly. You know this. We talked about this. Yes. There's no, there's no uh, hyperbolic rhetoric in mind. It's like, okay, this is what it really is. This is what it really isn't. If you don't like that, that's great. That's okay. Go somewhere else. But, you know, this whole shit around, this is great. Sign up now and get a set of Ginsu knives. Go, go, have a, go in the corner. It, it's just <laughs> like, yeah, it's just not he, so. He's, he's being nice. My actual ter my terminology is go in the corner and jack off about 20 minutes because that'll be yeah. fun. That, that's as good as that time is going to be for you. Exactly. Like, it's, it's crazy. And I agree with you entirely. Like selling and you, that's the reason. That's one of my big purposes. I was thinking about it as well. Um, just right now when you're, when you're speaking, I was like, there is a lot. Like it's not just bad copy. It's bad advertising. I really dislike and have a very foul. It's not hatred towards the people, but hatred towards the action of this scheming, bullshitty, lie stuff. And it's one of the reasons that, again, just so everyone understands on the show, because I don't really share these as often as I used to, and now I do more so, because, again, my part of my purpose-driven uh, leadership, or my purpose-focused leadership, rather, is when I show up, I burn away the lies for everyone else. And this is something that is very true, because I, uh, and this is a perfect example. It's one that's just really coming to me in this moment. Think about whenever you've had a copywriter or a consultant or a salesperson or someone on stage speak. And this is the true my own test. It's mm -hmm. not how engaged do you keep my brain looking at you. How much of my brain is saying, slow the fuck down so I can write this down and do it right now. Mm -hmm. If you've got my attention at that hook, you have my money, you have my everything, I'm right there with you. The way mm -hmm. that you gave that story, that is true care. That is showing someone you care about what you do. That is you showing up in your purpose through the story that you've just given that you encapsulated me immediately. I'm like, damn, I want to buy this book and read it. At the same time, the way it showed up for me was whenever I speak at stages, whenever I speak at any conference or anywhere, really, and that's my big downfall. I didn't believe as the caterpillar didn't believe he was the dragon. I didn't believe that I could do those things. But when I did them now, every room I've ever spoken in, I have dead silence. I actually want, like, the thought goes through my mind isn't like, have I bored them to sleep? Are they hard? Am I not a dynamic speaker? Do I not think I'm great? Like, all this stuff is in my head. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing that I've actually found, and this is, a, this is something that my friend Chase Hughes taught me, it was how to tell when someone's lying to you. Because he's a behavioral expert, and obviously, you know, kids that go through the similar stuff that we went through in our own respective childhoods, we become hypersensitive to tonal changes and physical changes in people very quickly. And he helped me identify and codify what it was. I'd speak to these people after seminars because there were only small rooms, like 20, 30 people. I like talking to people, so I speak to everyone over two days. And my first question is like, how? I always want to know how people are. That's If you ever meet me, you'll realize, and Dove knows this, and it pisses some people off when I do it. But my, my honest first thing is always to ask, how are you? Because I genuinely want to know. If you're terrible, I want to know. If you're great, I want to know. It's just mm -hmm. how my brain is. 
Um, and if you ever don't answer that question, I'll ask it again, like a second later, be like, no, but seriously, how are you? <laughs> mm -hmm. while, while at this event, I will always ask people what they thought of my presentation. Because I want to know, I was like, why were you silent? Why did you not speak? Why did you not raise your hand? Why were you so quiet? And why did many of you not make eye contact with me? I'm, I'm curious, what is going on here? And the amount of times it's happened where people have just gone, dude, you're amazing. Like, honestly, I, I had to write every word you were saying, and I was hoping you could slow down. The only time I put my hand up was so I could stop you and go, could you repeat what you just said? Or to answer a question, you've just gone ahead and showcased the, the essence of what you're doing. And that right there is the big shift for me. If you're truly a great teacher, yes, you're dynamic, you're brilliant, you can capture attention. But in my opinion, a true great teacher makes you shut up, listen, and apply what you're actually seeing right then and there. Because you now want to put, it's taking you out of the buying cycle of, I'm at a high and I bought this thing and now nothing, to mm -hmm. I'm at a high and this is the high I need to chase because I see the path. I can see where my highs are going to be and now that's the thing I need to chase. So that's the thought for myself in its own right, but it's something that you've actually inspired me to actually just share with everyone. Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's important. I've been speaking for 35 years yeah. and I've watched... Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I started speaking when people like Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn were around yeah. uh, and saw all those speakers and saw them uh, as an example, you know, people rave about Jim Rohn and I go, yeah, okay. Um, Jim Rohn was never a big, I was never a huge fan of watching him speak. Um, no more than I'm a big fan of watching people like Brian Tracy or Zig Ziglar. And they, do I respect each of them? I do. Do I think their content was superb? I do. Um, but a lot of them were like watching paint dry. Mm -hmm. They were just, for me, they were not particularly great speakers. And I saw Jim Rohn speak three times and I saw Jim Rohn speak three times in three separate countries. And I saw exactly the same presentation word for word, pause for pause. And for me, that is, you know, if that's not even a Broadway show, it's that's just, it, it, for me. Right. And, and, and I realize I've pissed a lot of people off who hold those guys up as gods. But for me, I want to connect with you personally, the audience. So if you go on my website, you'll see it doesn't say keynote speaker. It'll say keynote conversations because I want to have a conversation with you. Even if you are 2,000 people in my audience, I want to have a conversation with you. I'm going to engage with you. I want to connect with you. And yes, uh, I remember early on in my speaking career being freaked out when the audience did nothing. Yeah. When they were like, and I'm thinking, oh my God, like I have just laid a dump on the stage here. Nobody is like, nobody's responding at all. And then realizing later, you know, people were crying or they were holding back tears or they were writing so ferociously because they wanted to capture every single word. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think that it's a really good point. I'm really glad you brought it up, Adil, which is we are very caught up in, in the in the rah-rah and we want people to rah-rah. And it's as a speaker, it's nice to have, but more important than the rah-rah is the impact that will be long-lasting. So when somebody comes up to you and says that to you, that's a pretty huge compliment. Yeah, no, it is. I'm grateful that like uh, something I will be releasing in... Well, right now in February, when this comes out, it'll be around May. Um, if you guys go back through the archive, you'll see it'll be in the February archives. 
I actually am going to release this keynote, by the way, this, this presentation I did. And there are two very specific reasons. It's only audio, but there is a one-minute clip in there that is lovely to me. I'll send it to you afterwards, but um, I'll tell you what it was. So I like, and this is where I believe you need to combine the dynamic, rah-rah style of speaking with the content purpose focused style of leadership when you combine the two you know, keynote conversations. And again, for me, I think I'm still in the bounce. I'm still figuring my shit out, which is fine. Everyone takes their Absolutely. time this. Uh, 35 years, I'm still figuring mine out. So <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's always a forever figure, figure outable thing that we will always move forward in. It's when you get to that stagnation, when you start figuring shit out, I think that's when you become the same and then it just loses it. It becomes empty. Mm -hmm. words. It becomes empty. Yeah. Um, but one of the funny things was I love challenge not challenging but offering the audience participation because audience participation is huge for me because i like to go back and forth but it's mm -hmm. the idea of asking them for something completely random that's unrelated to any of them in the room as an object to showcase how i would basically write the headline the opening paragraph and the introduction basically what i do for sales copy and this last one in particular someone yelled out penis en enlargement so oh as a for what you would, how Sell. what you would say about it? Yeah, like how would I create the copy if I was selling this? Right. And you know, as a seasoned speaker, the majority of the schooling of thought is when you get questions like that, you smile, you laugh, and you move on. You don't answer that person's question. You just kind of like <laughs> you're just being an idiot, and then just someone else give me something serious that we can actually use. I don't. I engage with that person. So like with this person, I'd spoken to him for like a day and a half at this point, And I just I was like, oh, Ben, of course it was you, you dick. Okay, fine. Let's just, you, you asked for it. Let's just do it. And I just reeled off this headline, subheadline, opening paragraph of how like, you know, if you had a tiny dick, you need to fix it. And this is the thing. It's come down to just, it's more than just pills. It's down to nutrition, lifestyle, and one other thing I'm going to tell you about in a minute. And I stopped there. Whole room went from silent to whooping and holy fuck did he just create this in front of us right that's the thing when you combine the two together in my opinion you end up getting dynamic creations yeah. they're just brilliant now i want to like shift ever so slightly and it's uh towards the ideas towards um purpose specifically finding purpose mm -hmm. you have an incredible training and the reason i say that your impact and your dynamicness actually combines together so powerfully is when I was going through that training, when I was writing, I like a three minute video took me like 33 minutes to go through. It took me a full half hour and a bit because I, I have a 33 minute timer. It took me that entire time to finish a three minute video simply because I had to keep pausing, making notes and going back and then going, don't answer these right now for yourself. Put them in a note file, answer them right when you're done. But in that same sense, how does one go from, I know my why, or I believe I know my why, or I think my passion is my purpose, that's mm -hmm. another thing. How do they evolve from those two, to, uh, from why, passion, how do they get to purpose? How do they figure this, this big ball of shit that they need to figure out that is their dragon flame? How do they get to that? Well, um, the obvious answer is you take the course that is now available on ClickBank and it's called All at Once, it, which is the course that you were just speaking about, Adil, yeah. that Adil, Adil wrote the copy for, which yeah. is, it's in, it's in small portion videos, and uh, uh, as Adil was just saying, but they're not, they're, there's no fluff in there at all. Yeah. They, 
ask you some hard questions and make you look at things you probably haven't looked at. And they will show you that there is a vast difference between uh, passion and purpose or the surface why or any of those things. And one of the things I would just ask you, even as, you, as you're here right now, let me ask you this question and just for you to play with. What is something that's bothered you for as long as you can remember? Now, I'm not talking about what bothers you now, which might be Brexit or might be uh, the, the Trump administration or, or uh, coronavirus or you know, whatever. Nothing that's, nothing that's contemporary. I want you to think about what's bothered you for as long as you can remember. What is that? <clears throat> it, may have, it may have morphed a little bit, but there will be this thing that's bothered you for as long as you can remember. So for me, one of the things that bothered me for as long as I could remember was I was fascinated with why people, <clears throat> excuse me, people who I thought were good people, who were smart people, who were intelligent people, why they did dumb shit over and over again. Why my aunt would date the same man with a new face over and over again. My aunt, who was a good person, would ended up with these losers. And I was in the 11-year-old boy going, I can work this out. Why can't you? I was fascinated with that. And, and by the way, you might go, oh, that's what mine is. No, it's not. Nope. Stop. It's not what yours is. Yours is yours, whatever it is. So that was one of the elements of mine, right? And, 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 and what I realized was that people were attracted to the same, which I talked about. Right? So I, I was like, well, okay, so look at what bothered you for as long as you can remember that you look at and you think, why hasn't somebody come up with the answer with that? Why hasn't somebody solved that problem? Whatever it is, whether it's human slavery or whether it's people repeating the same, it could be massive, it could be tiny, it doesn't matter. But what it matters is it's bothered you for as long as you can remember. Now ask yourself this question. Why is it anybody else's job to fix it? Maybe the reason that you are so drawn to that thing, maybe the reason it rubs you and irritates you is because that is a link to your purpose. Your purpose is tied to pain, not pleasure. It's tied to pain, not passion. It's the thing that you go, I have got to solve this. I have got to find a way. And it, sometimes part of your purpose is for you not to be it. So one of my, one of my clients, his purpose is entirely around music. Mm -hmm. He's not a musician. He's not a musician, doesn't play any instruments. But his purpose is entirely around music. And he understands that now. He didn't get it. But he understands it now to such a degree that he's created a foundation. They've got a book out. They've got five more books in the go. Um, you know, people have, have worked with him now who are like Michael Bublé, Sarah McLaughlin. I mean, very big names. You know, uh, I'm in that book. There's a lot of, you know, really cool people in this book. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's called The Awesome Music Project. If you go look at it, it's a beautiful book. And he created this book to help people understand that music is part of mental health. Yeah. So the tie of mental health and music became for him, okay, that's what you need to look at. What is the problem you think someone should solve? And maybe you are the catalyst for it. It doesn't mean you have to go learn something brand new, but you have abilities to pull things together and make it happen. I would agree with that entirely. And one of the things I want to quickly touch on from Cognizant of Time 
Um, I, I would love to go into this a little bit more, uh, but I know you, so I know your brain works as quickly as mine, which is lovely. And it's the subject of money, because a lot of people will be thinking, well, okay, I've got the leadership, I know what I'm doing, but how do I stop this broken mentality around finances? Because again, earlier on I did reveal to you guys what my broken model, one of mm -hmm. my broken models in my brain is, because I have several, we all do, how do you start shifting that paradigm around so it no longer fucks you over? Because it is, it is a little tripwire in the whole thing because, you know, there's so many reasons. Yeah. So as you said, you know, you, you were very generous in revealing yours. And I hope that people, if you, if you somehow came into this and you missed that part of the beginning, go back and listen because that was extremely vulnerable and powerful and insightful. Um, and so what is money is my question. It's the question I ask, I ask myself because I grew up in poverty. What is money? Yeah. And, and I wrote a book called uh, What Growing Up Poor Taught Me About uh, Money. Uh, what, taught, what Growing Up Poor Taught Me About uh, Wealth, uh, Power, and Leadership. And you can find it. It's like it's an ebook. It's on Amazon for like four bucks or something. It's really cheap. Um, and the whole purpose of that book was to write down um, and share with people the lies, the myths and the lies. So one of those myths and lies I got told was, you know, we might be poor, but at least we're loving and close to each other. So what is the, what is the subtext of that? <laughs> Hold on a second. So you're saying people with money don't love in each other and they're not close. No, that's horseshit. Yep. But if you grow up with those kinds of conditioning, so what I would ask you to do is when you come to money, look and see where the lies are. And so you go, well, I don't know where the lies are. You're absolutely right, because you think they're truth. So here's the thing. The lies you've been told, you actually hold as truths. So here's the thing. If you want to know the difference between a truth and a lie, there is something called small t truth, and there's something called large t truth. Small t truth is it's true for me, right? Large T truth means it's true. So as an example, um, gravity exists. Well, no, as a simple example, uh, men are assholes, right? Some woman says men are assholes. So I say to her, okay, fair enough. Have you dated a lot of assholes? Yes. Every man I've dated has been an asshole. Okay, great. Um, how many men are on the planet? I don't know. Let's go with three and a half billion. Okay. She goes, okay. Have you met them all? No, then you don't know. It's a small t truth. It's true subjectively to you. That's all it is. Now I say, is there gravity? She goes, yes. I go, okay. So is there gravity when you get out in space? No, there's not. Yes, there is. There actually is still gravity. It's just much less than it is in the atmosphere of the planet. But gravity always exists. According to Einstein's uh, uh, theories, you can see that what holds a planet in place is gravity. It, it, there is a gravity, even in space. It it's varies based on, but it's always there. It is a large T truth. Unless it's a large T truth, it's not true. And so you have to examine your subjective meaning. So money, here's the thing I want to understand about money. I love the way Oprah put it. It was the best one I ever heard, which is money is a magnifying glass. Money doesn't change you, it reveals you. Agreed. If you're an asshole with no money, you'd just be a bigger asshole with money. If you're generous with no money, 
you'll be generous with money. It doesn't make any difference. It just magnifies it. It yep. just magnifies it. And so what you've got, you've got to examine these, tr these quote unquote truths because they're not true. They're just what you hold as true. And so when it comes to money, that's what you've got to do. Now, I'm going to give you an example specific to you, what you talked about, Adil, which, and because I know this one personally. Yep. When I was in my early 30s, I was out one night with my mates, and we were having a drink and sitting around talking, and my mate said to me, you know, what the, you know, you're not in a very good space. What's going on? So I'm freaking out. And he goes, why? I go, it's 28th in a month. And he goes, yeah, and? And I said, rent's due in a couple of days. And he goes, yeah. And I go, I don't have the rent. And he goes, oh. oh. And he just blows it off and goes, hey, you'll have it. Uh, yeah, maybe. And then so he says to me, he says, uh, hold on a minute. Didn't you have this problem last month? And I said, yeah, about it for as long as I can remember. And he said, did you pay your rent last month? I go, yeah. He goes, have you ever not paid your rent? And I said, nope. He goes, have you been late? I go, I have. I've been as much as two days late. He goes, so you always have the rent, usually on time, as late as two days. Why are you freaking out? You will make the money. And every time I did. And once I got that, it was like, oh, yeah. So, I, so there was some kind of psychological setup to freaking out about money but I always had the money. So then I went deeper and said, okay, where's this come from? Because you always want to ask that question. What yeah. does this remind me of? So I asked myself that question. I can remember living in Lower Broughton, living there, and the rent man knocking on the terrace house doors, and he would knock on because he, you know, he owned a bunch of the houses, knock on the door, and my mom would shh, and we'd all have to shush, and he'd lift a letterbox and he'd look inside, see if anybody was in there. And we'd all be like silent and hiding. And then we knew what he would do. He would walk around the block and he'd come back down the back and he'd go in the backyard and he'd look in the back window to see if anybody was in there. And my mom would take me and my two siblings, a bunch of us, but we were the eldest at that time. And, and she would hold us. She would stand on the toilet seat, holding us on, on her lap, telling us to shush because the rent man would look underneath the toilet door in the, out, in the outside toilets. We would look under the door, and if he didn't see any feet, he didn't think anybody was there. But it's because we were all crouched on the toilet. That was embedded into my being. Now, think about what was happening. I just explained a lot of things there. But how is my mum being with me as I'm there in that situation? It's very, very precious. It's almost like it's so scared and scarcity-driven and fear. Like it, it, The insane level of fear in that. Insane level of fear, and she's protecting me. Yep. So, fear in, my, person. In, in my equation, okay, money or the lack thereof, and the fear of lack of the the fear that goes around that lack of money means that I'll be loved, I'll be held safe. So, lack of money with all the stress and all the anxiety meant that I would be loved. That's a fucked up equation, yep. but it's still an equation. And yep. I ran that equation right into my 30s. And was like, oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> it's funny how that one works. Uh, just, just for humor's sake, I'll say this much. I had a very similar instance, but when you were saying that when your mate said, oh, it's okay, you'll sort it out. 
I swear to God, I, that used to really trigger me. Oh, yeah. To, to the point I really wanted to punch one of my <clears throat> friends in the face. And, and this has happened for years, by the way. It uh, doesn't happen anymore, which is lovely. Like now when I say, guys, I'm in a situation, the friends I'm around, their response is, don't worry about it is number one. Two, ask yourself a question, who has my money? And three, actually figure out how to actually make it happen rather than you'll sort it out and figure it out yourself. Right. Which again, my friends from the old days, they were they meant well. They actually meant mm-hmm. from a very loving place. Yeah. Like, you know what? Yeah. You can do this. I've got your back. But the interpretation, because there's someone that might be listening to this that has the exact same friend that we did, they come from a place of love. <laughs> but yeah. friends that say this to you, if you're listening to this show and you have friends that go through this shit and you say it, here's what they really need you to say. They actually really need you to reassure them that they can do it, but they also need you to remind them, as your friend did, didn't you already go through this and help them examine why they keep doing it? Because it's very powerful. Um, And just as a funny thing, I had this uh, 2018, as I told you, was my worst financial year I've ever had in my life uh, as an adult. Literally, I think 19-year-old me made more money than 28-year-old me. It's ridiculous. Um, so at that point I just sat there, I was like freaking out. <laughs> and the one thing I've never revealed, I'll actually tell you is right now at that point, I hadn't paid my rent for six months mm. and I was living in London, which if you haven't lived in London and you haven't been late for rent for six months, I'll give you an idea. The average rent of where I grew up in Leicester, six months worth of rent was about three and a half grand, not a terribly huge amount. Not a, not a, it's, it's nothing to be sniffed at, but it's not so big. You can get like a, a, a loan. You can get a friend to help you out. It's a manageable amount of money. Yeah. Six months in London was like 10,000 pounds, which is like $15,000. That's not walking around cash money for a lot of people. <laughs> and thank God I will forever, forever be grateful for my, for my old landlord, Jack Galloway, absolutely legend of a human being. He was patient. He actually waited for me. He kept asking, wow. he's like, where's the money? What's going on? Talk to me. And I was scared shitless because one of my money stories growing up again, there's another equation was, uh, I have to keep, like, when broke, keep quiet, don't ask for help. Because keeping mm-hmm. quiet, asking for help allows people to still love you for the perception of who's you rather than love you for who you are. So I would go quiet and completely, like, if there was ever an issue, I, just, I, I still do this from time to time with other things which I'm working on. I go quiet, like, I... I excommunicate myself because I'm like, I don't want them to see the fear, but simultaneously I'm freaking the fuck out. Um, and again, the isolation starts to become worse as Star Wars would say, you go to the dark side at that moment. I remember speaking to a friend of mine. His response was adult. You've never had this situation before, but what's the craziest thing that's happened to you financially? I said, you know what? I made, I think at the time I was like, I made $150,000 like as a commission when I was so deep in the hole when I was 18 years old. I was knocking on doors, doing door-to-door sales. I had zero money. It was a commission-only job. And I remember getting that phone call from the bank. And I remember getting a second phone call from the bank telling me that someone had deposited, well, 80,000 pounds, $150,000 at the time into my bank account because of a letter I mailed out for a client of mine. It was one of the biggest things. And he goes, right. Think into that, feel into that, and just see how you feel. I was like, oh, I feel good. Because right now, just write something out there about this. Send a message to a friend. Ask how they are. Don't even ask for them. Don't even go down that path. Just find someone that you find that is really fun and creative that you can just have a conversation with. 
did that with another friend and he introduced me to to a client like that day. He goes, hanging out with this guy, thought of you, thought you'd be great, great, done. In the space of two weeks, I brought in 33,000 pounds. <laughs> I, I needed 10. I brought in like three times the amount. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there going, where the fuck did this happen? And then, of course, 2019, best financial year of my life so far. 2020 is going to be even bigger, but we have our own challenges in what we're doing. The moral of the story, what I'm telling you right now is you can go through those motions, but when you figure out your equations, as Dove has so brilliantly, as you so brilliantly put it, when you start undoing them, it starts getting liberating, like really, really fucking free. You know, it's, it's just a powerful thing. And one of my things I do want to ask you, Dove, more than anything else, is where can people find your books? Because you have quite a few books, but are they all on your website or are they just on Amazon? What? You can find them all through, um, through going to DoveBaron.com. You can find them certainly on Amazon. Uh, you can find all of my books there. You can find out, uh, you know, I've got videos on YouTube. There's over 700 videos. Uh, yep. You can find them there. You can, uh, you can go to one of my outlets, which is called The Dragon Path on Medium, uh, where I, there's a bunch of my articles and blogs. And I write for LinkedIn. I write for Entrepreneur. I write for a bunch of outlets. You can find all those. But the books are on Amazon is the easiest way to find them. If you just go to Amazon, you'll, you'll find them all there. Yeah. And you'll find them on my own website, of course. Yeah, Fullmontyleadership.com or dovebaron.com. D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. Yeah, and you guys can find all those out. Now, I know we've got like uh, time for maybe one question left. Like, how are we doing for time for you? I got a few minutes, that's it. Yeah. Okay, so last question before we head out. And that is, um, for the people that are actually good, oh, there's so many fucking questions I really want to like, ask. Okay, <laughs> fuck it. Let's, we'll do a part two at some point. We'll do a part two at some point. Um, this specific question I'll ask you is for purpose focused leadership specifically, what is mm -hmm. the first book they should read? Because if you can, and I'll say this right now, if you can afford or if you want to actually truly find your purpose and get that shit together, go to all at once.com, look it up on ClickBank. There's a fucking link in the description. Go to that, get it. I guarantee it'll be fucking amazing. There's a guarantee. It's brilliant. I wrote the guarantee specifically to kind of piss you off a little bit because it gave you so much time to go do something and trust me, you can get this done in like the space of two days if you really apply yourself. It's three hours worth of video and about six hours of writing. You should mm -hmm. be fine. And that's just the beginning. Anyway, besides that, if they were to read a book of yours, what is the number one book they should start with specifically with the goal of becoming a stronger leader, a better leader in what they do? If you want to become a better leader, read Fiercely Loyal. And now, before you go any further, people have said to me, but I'm not a CEO. It, I get that it's written because it says, you know, how high-performing companies uh, hire and keep top talent. And so you go, well, I don't have a bunch of people working with me. Believe me, you don't need to. You can have one. It's okay. You want to be a better leader, read that book. It will show you what it takes. And it will actually give you very specific. All my books, you'll see all my books are very exercise-driven they're like, okay, go away, do this, answer this question. Like one of my books, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day. Uh, he's on his 12th read of one of my books, 12 times, start to finish, uh, which is called Don't Read This, Your Ego Won't Like It. Uh, and at his ninth time through, he finished his ninth time through, and he's on his 10th time through, and he phones me, and he said, I said, what is it? He goes, this book. And I go, what book? And he goes, Ego, which is Don't Read This, Your Ego Won't Like It. I go, yeah. He goes. He goes, 
how did I miss this? And I go, mate, how many times have you read it? He goes, this is my 10th time through. And I go, what? And he goes, chapter 10. And this book, and I've seen this book, it's raggy, all the corners are turned, it's highlighted to death. Chapter 10, he missed entirely. Why? Because it conflicted with his equations. So his ego mind literally jumped over that chapter. So this is how the mind works, right? And so by just the, the book, so the, uh, the, uh, the uh, leadership book isn't for just leading in, a, in an organization. It's for you having the exercises to do what it takes to get to where you want to get to. Yeah, agreed. And of course, there's like a few other, there's like so many books. I'm actually on your Amazon oh, page right now. There's like One Red Thread, which will help you to find your purpose. Um, don't read this unless you want more money. Don't, don't read, read this, this unless you want more money, which will show you your financial equations and how to find your financial equations. So that's really good for that. And uh, what growing this. up poor. Yep. <laughs> there's lots. There's like, if you don't like being broke, that's another one that's absolutely brilliant as well. Uh, just mm -hmm. by title alone, you can see. Now, guys, uh, as always, please rate, share, subscribe. And again, I know I didn't ask my usual questions. That I love on this show about the books and whatever, but I got I to gotta admit, you got way, way, a ton of like information from this. I want you to go back and listen to it twice over. Again, Dove, you're always welcome back on the show. I'd love to have a second round with you on here. And, Thank you, sir. Uh, guys, if you want Dove to come back on as well, please go ahead and comment, share this around, tag him, tag me. We're on all the same social media platforms. And the uniqueness is we both have very unique names. So it's very easy yep. to find us and who we are. So uh, as always, check out Dove Baron. That's D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. And please subscribe to Adeline Marcy Unplugged. Take care, guys, and have an amazing weekend ahead.